0: Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider Podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlene Haddad and I will be speaking with Michelle Brousset, CEO of Waldencast Acquisition Corp. Waldencast announced a $1.2 billion three-way combination with skincare and cosmetics brands Obagi and Milk Makeup in November. Michelle has taken a different approach to SPACs, using Waldencast as a vehicle to create a platform company. Waldencast's management will continue to operate the combined company over a longer term while tucking in additional acquisitions to the portfolio. We discuss the potential advantages to that strategy within the cosmetic space, as well as how its first two targets, which are very different from one another, fit together in this model. Take a listen. And so I just want to start with the Cast approach here. We're going to get into the nitty gritty as we go on, but Michelle, could you just talk a bit about your own background and what made you first decide to use a SPAC as a vehicle in the beauty sector?
1: No, oh, yeah, of course. Nick, um, well, first of all thank you for for having me. So, uh, really, really appreciate you. Let's see. I mean, I started WeldingCast with my partner and co-founder, Hint Septi, about three years ago. In my case, after a 25-year career in in consumer goods, I am not what I would say a, a typical spot promoter that has kind of a finance background. We are we're operators. So my career was a quite classical, I would say, journey of in consumer goods. I had a long-standing time at Procter & Gamble in marketing and strategy and general management uh, in North America and in Europe. Then I was with L'Oreal also for quite some time, both in Europe as well as in North America. My last job was Group President of L'Oreal North America Consumer Products Division, which is the largest business of L'Oreal worldwide. My co-founder and partner, Hint, similar background, 20 years all in beauty, both at Procter & Gamble and at L'Oreal in various general management roles. And um, we started WaldenCast originally with an ambition of over time creating a global best-in-class beauty and wellness company. And and we are entrepreneurs. We started as, you know, we're going to start this company, not exactly knowing exactly what was the path like many entrepreneurs do. It was more of a, that's our ambition, that's what we want to do. We started our first two steps. The first one was WaldenCast Ventures, where we invested in emerging beauty and wellness brands. We've done seven of those, uh, four in North America, two in Europe and one in Brazil. Uh, and we also in parallel started Walden Gas Brands based out of London, where it, which is our incubator of brands. We've launched two brands out of that incubator. We have a, a few more coming. But relatively early on in that process of kind of wanting to create this, this dream or bring to life this dream, it was apparent, that, apparent to us that we wanted to have some anchor Acquisitions or operating company to that was larger to anchor this whole ecosystem, and that's this is how we ended up doing a SPAC. Just to, to be frank, Nick, maybe two or three years ago, I had no idea what a SPAC was. That was not kind of in my in my in my radar. And and the reason we did a SPAC was not because, uh, you know, as I said, we're not typical financial promoters or or financial backgrounds. Is more it was a very efficient way on one hand to raise capital, on the other hand, importantly that the resulting company was a public company that we was, if you want, a public currency to do subsequent acquisitions. Because so our, our vision is to create this global best-in-class multi-brand company by both creating brands ourselves that we're doing in Class Brands, but also uh, by acquiring other companies. And, and that governance, the quality of governance of a public company, as well as the, the public currency of, 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 of the share would allow us to, to do those subsequent acquisitions in an in efficient way.
0: Right, yeah. And that brings us to you know, your first two companies that you're approaching in this way with Abogi and Milk. And they're in many ways, very different companies within the beauty space. But could you talk a, a bit in terms of the broad strokes about how they currently serve for markets and how you see them as being potentially complementary as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it, the, the fact that they are quite different is exactly what we were looking for. I mean, first, by creating a multi-brand beauty platform, you see of you know, the best-in-class beauty companies have a number of practices. One is their beauty per players. I'm talking about people like L'Oreal or stellar They're beauty per players, and they have brands that are having multiple categories that allows them to create, one, a portfolio management approach to, to, to beauty, but also a, have a, a broader view of, of the beauty market. In the case of Ovagie and Milka, the reason we, we think are the perfect platform for for cats is the combination in both cases of two things. On one hand, Obagi, starting with Obaji, is what I would call the, the crown jewel, the best-in-class, physician-dispensed skincare brand. Why I say the crown jewel? Not because I say it or I think about it, It's because physicians, who are the ones that matter, who are either prescribing this product or recommending this product, believe so. And this is validated through a number of third-party surveys in terms of what their perceptions are of brands in the space. But it is not only a fantastic asset, it is also participating in thermocosmetic physician dispensed market within skincare, which is the most attractive, fastest-growing part of skincare. So what we have in the case of Obagi is this great combination of arguably the best asset in the category in the most interesting part of this massive market of skincare. Milk is similar. I mean, Milk, for example, is, is, a, is a different brand, obviously. In makeup is a Gen Z brand built on community or quite organically on community by the, by the perception of that community. But it is, um, also has all the attributes of good for you, good for the planet, good for society that are so important to these Gen Z consumers. So as a consequence, a, its position in the market, for example, is the number two, the number two clean makeup brand at Sephora. So a leading position in that clean makeup segment. And clean makeup is the fastest growing part of makeup. So again, same idea of a tremendous asset with a strong organic following and community and a real brand in what is the most interesting part of makeup. And this idea of now having these two first two legs of the stool, and there will be other other categories as we go forward of skincare and makeup which are the heart of beauty is a very um, solid platform from which we can start building the the, the future company.
2: Going back to Baji, can you tell us a bit more about the company's prescription to over-the-counter switch? How do you plan on leveraging medical brand credentials and technology to drive credibility for that switch?
1: Yeah, really nice. Great question. And the first thing I would clarify is that we're not intending to do a switch per se, different than perhaps in other in other cases. Today, the business let's ground ourselves first on what the business is today. Today, the business is 90 plus percent of that business is Ovagee Medical, and and what we mean by medical is a brand that is typically first discovered by a consumer through a physician recommendation. And that's the consumer typically doesn't discover Obagi through advertising or social media or TikTok or Instagram they discover the brand through a physician recommendation and hence is the most credential, high credibility type of, of, of recommendation to have, is a dermatologist recommending, recommending the brand. Now, our intention is to keep the medical business medical, is not to take the medical business and make it you know, available broadly, broadly to consumers, For two very simple reasons. Number one, one is a real important one, which is 25% of that business is a prescription-based business. You need a a physician prescription for it. And the second one is the other products are best used under physician supervision just because they are highly effective, highly powerful, highly powerful uh, products. What we think in terms of consumer is first is broaden the availability of some of those OTC products but also create a different proposition for those consumers that don't necessarily want or, or have to go to a dermatologist or want to go to a dermatologist or to a physician, but are equally interested in, in what we would call ultra-high-performance skincare, And they just want it available in their own ways, in their own channels, in the places where, where they shop. So it's, a, it's more of a complementary business to the existing business of Avaj. Now, your question of how kind of brand and technology transfers the intention is not to sell the same products that we sell, as I said, in the medical channel into consumer channel, but create products that have still that you know, strong performance based on, that, on the, frankly, very strong understanding that Obagi has of skin, of performance, of clinical studies, to create uh, additional products in that domain and uh, use technologies that are appropriate for that consumer market. It's not a switch per se as, as tradition. And I've worked in switches. I mean, Rx2Otc switches is more of a complement to, to what that business is doing.
2: So globally, the beauty market has been resilient through both the 2008 financial crisis as well as the COVID-19 downturn. But it nonetheless suffered negative impacts from the pandemic. So why do you think now was a time for a deal like this in beauty?
1: Well, if I, you're right to take a long beyond beauty. I mean, beauty is... Uh, is you know, I say it all the time, it's the most beautiful of businesses. not because of the way you engage with consumers and, 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 and the emotional and, and functional aspects of it, but you know, from a business standpoint, the margins, the resiliency, the growth, et cetera. What we all lived through the pandemic is, is unprecedented. And I think the biggest what was interesting about, you look at the data underneath the, the, the effects of the pandemic is what was clearly affecting a couple of things. One is the fact that many brick and mortar stores were closed where, you know, just literally product availability, people know we're on the streets, people know we're going out, people are working from home. So all that changed what we think on a temporary basis, the habits on, on beauty. And we believe they are purely temporary and we're seeing it in the market. We're seeing it as a strong rebound of beauty right after COVID as people go out, go out to movie theaters and visiting friends and, ma- and b- going back to work in which makeup and skincare and all of that is used. Importantly, even during the pandemic, there was a strong growth of categories such as skincare you know, in which, uh, or fragrances, uh, for instance, an, another interesting interesting category that did very well during the pandemic, in which it is part of these self-cares that in moments of difficulty, uh, there is this aspect of self-care. I, I have in my office a photograph of a women's soldier, I guess, in World War II, a British woman soldier, applying lipstick. And next to it is a quote that says, you know, in the middle of those inhumanity, I'm paraphrasing the word, "In the middle of all this inhumanity and war, etc." Beauty and putting a little bit of lipstick and you know doing a little bit of that reminds us of our humanity. And that's what beauty is about. Beauty is not superficial, beauty is not something that we do as an extra thing, beauty is quite fundamental to the to the human condition. Uh, we didn't have beauty, we live in a very gray Stalinist world and very boring. And and as a consequence, we think beauty will continue to to thrive. Now your question is why make us now? And and that is a very important one and one that I considered deeply before jumping into into this world and i think it's fundamentally predicated on two things i think we are at probably what i would call the second inflection point in the beauty industry the first one being if you go back to the first stage of beauty so it was a world or an industry dominated by big strategic incumbents big businesses big factories big laboratories i mean the 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 big incumbents and in the probably the last 10 years and certainly accelerating in the last seven or five to seven years there was this whole growth of these independent brands as we have seen in other consumer goods categories but it was particularly uh, remarkable in the case of, of beauty big growth driven by by indie brands now the issue with that scenario is that while indie brands were growing in aggregate uh, capturing share they tend to plateau at a certain level between the it's probably around 100 to 300 million dollars in net sales depending on the category. we study this deeply most independents will grow. They reach somewhere around 100 and $300 dollars, and then, then they start to slow down. The, the marginal growth becomes a very high marginal cost, and the reason for it is that is where things like having an omni-channel strategy, having a very solid supply chain, having internationalization capabilities, and a management team and a structure and a scale to be able to manage that becomes important. So we think this second inflection point, and this is where WaldenCast comes into place we think there is a massive opportunity of creating an alternative, if you want, more nimble, faster, more adapted to the world today, aggregator of of brands that would help those brands get to the next level by having the operational scale of a multi-brand platform, the management expertise to manage global brands at scale, which is not a trivial matter, while maintaining all the strengths of that, those independent brands, maintaining their independence, their brand DNA, their ownership, their agility, and their asset light structure to be able to continue to thrive. So in a sense, it's taking a bit of the, both of, both of the best of both worlds, both the traditional multi-brand scale, but maintaining this speed, independence, and agility of, of independent brands.
0: And that's actually what I wanted to get into next in that this deal is unique in terms of the size of the stake that both the, the SPAC sponsor is taking and as well as public investors in the SPAC in the combined company. Mm-hmm. And so can you describe a bit about how you know your approach as an operator is going to be different than what we see with a lot of other SPAC deals where it's all uh, investments and sometimes not necessarily always long-term?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Nick. I think we're f- very fundamentally different than most SPACs. You know, first, uh, to start, as I said, I, I don't consider myself, nor nobody on the team, a kind of financial sponsor. We're operators that are going to operate the company. That's the first difference, the fundamental difference. We're not taking a company, doing the, the preparation to taking a company public is is, is we are aggregating two brands together, to creating a new company that will operate and run. Second is we've committed on top of the usual kind of promoter at risk capital, $160 million of capital, our own capital to align and make this these vision come to life. So it is a quite, I would say, quite fundamentally different to most deals. Uh, we're not taking a company public, we're creating a non-company by using the SPAC as a vehicle to do that. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, um, the SPAC to us was just a simple way to raise capital in an efficient way and have a public currency in the future to have, to have more, more acquisitions. Now from a capitalist structure standpoint, we're also, I think, relatively different than, than most. You know, we we, we raised through public market a uh, $345 million SPAC. On top of that, we have $160 million committed by us the sponsors, $173 million on a third-party committed FPA of friends and family. They're not family, but you know, people that are close to us. Uh, Investors that are close to us that want to be part in the long term of of the spec and another 100 million dollars of pipe and structured pipe uh, from people again relatively close to us. Now, importantly as well, in that 345 million dollars that we raised from the public, uh, I always tell my friends in the underwriters in the in the banks they had some of the easiest jobs in the world because we brought most of the people into that original original race. So it's a kind of ecosystem of investors and, and people that are you know, highly committed to this and that wanna a part of creating what we hope is the next best-in-class beauty and wellness uh, global company.
0: And also just looking at your materials and kind of getting back into some of the differences between Obagi and, and Milk, it, you know, it's interesting in the sense that Obagi being a medical grade um, product line, other companies that are similarly publicly listed um, trade a much higher multiples than most retail consumer uh, cosmetic brands, which is more of the sort of category that Milk falls into. You know, how did you kind of go about the, the valuation of this? And I, I imagine if there's going to be subsequent transactions, this is something that's going to continue to, to shift and move back and forth, but did you have any concern about potentially diluting some of the value of of, of Obaji with the, the platform approach.
1: No, not at all. I think uh, I think it's quite the opposite. I think one of the benefits for Obaji of being part of the platform is everything that we can provide around it. Uh, one of the, the things we were discussing with, with Marlena just a moment ago, for instance, is the approach to consumer. I mean, the, the Obagi brand is a brand that has been built through physician dispensed, through the physician dispensed business. And that is a fantastic business in itself that we're going to continue to drive and we're going to continue to create and we'll to continue to internationalize, et cetera. But as we said, there's an addition, there's additional benefits that come from it by tapping into a broader consumer consumer market in which uh, we can provide expertise that the company just because it was not a priority was more focused on the physician dispense channel has not has not created so I, I think uh, there are parallels to these uh, certainly for example um Let's say a company like L'Oreal has an active cosmetics division with uh, brands that are in the physician dispense space. There is a big opportunity of value creation by covering the whole spectrum of consumers and, and, and divisions and categories. You know? So it's, we think that um, we will actually create significantly more value that way than, than kind of a standalone just physician, physician brand.
2: And then Milk's current presence in Sephora appears that it will be big for your expansion plans. Mm-hmm. Can you get a bit more into that partnership and, and what customer data you've found from working with them?
1: Yeah, no, the partnership between Sephora and Milk has been, has been fantastic. I mean, Sephora is a tremendous partner and has been a tremendous partner for the brand. It is the strength, I think there's that's one of the strengths of, of Milk as well as, as the opportunity. But what is important to, to note is that Milk is a brand that is very young in its development. I mean, it was founded six years ago and until really very recently it was fundamentally focused in North America. So, we are in every Sephora store in the US and Canada. Within those stores, we've only touched about 3% of the clientele of Sephora. So, big opportunity still within the Sephora ecosystem. It's also a brand that you may have seen from the materials that is. Is, has relatively low number of SKUs for a makeup brand, so there's tons of innovation that we can still have within that. So there's still plenty of room to maximize the North America business. On top of that, we're just starting outside of North America. with a Our penetration varies by, 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 by market, but we're just scratching the surface in places like Europe, uh, Australia, not in China we not in a number of other markets. So within the Sephora ecosystem, we have plenty of room, and the partnership with the Sephora has been instrumental in the in the growth and threshold and we and we'll continue to. Now that said, on top of Sephora, we have uh, an opportunity in those markets where Sephora is not present or, or not present in a meaningful. Just for let give you a, an example, for instance, um, let's say the UK. The UK is the fourth largest makeup market in the world. Uh, Sephora. I mean just acquired a, a e-retailer on it, but it's really not present. So it's a big opportunity in the UK to to have expansion through other retail partnerships outside of Sephora. But Sephora has been wonderful and and, and, and that partnership will will continue.
2: Well, you basically just answered my next question. Um, but is there anything else that you can tell us in terms of uh, international expansion opportunities?
1: Yeah, I mean, internationalization, In by the way, in both brands, both Aja and Milk, but I mean, it's a very important part of, uh, of, of, of the, growth, the growth platform. What is wonderful about Milk, both brands really, but let's talk about Milk for a moment, is Milk is a brand that has an incredible social platform that is completely organic. Uh, this is a brand that until very recently never did any influencer marketing, yet has, for example, 2 million Instagram followers, completely organic. And what is wonderful about that is that a lot of those followers, a very significant part of those followers, are not necessarily American, even though the brand is being essential in North America. This is a brand that a 17 or 18 year old in New York will of course know, in San Francisco will know, but also in Kansas or Johannesburg or Lima or Mexico City or Tokyo knows it. So there is this underlying cultural value, if you want, that is underneath that that brand. And it's because of what that value, what that brand stands for in terms of values. What that brand stands for in terms of design. What that value in terms of stands in terms of products. So our internationalization, the proof points of internationalization are are, are very strong. By the way, likewise in Obaji, Obaji is we have a. Fantastic business in North America, a strong business in, in Asia, but we haven't touched many markets. Let's say Brazil, one of the largest physicians that spends derma- markets in the world. We have not touched at all. We're barely scratching the surface in places like the Middle East. Uh, we're just starting in China, et cetera. And interestingly, when we do research on, on the research that we've done, for, for instance, with Brazilian dermatologists, and you ask them, tell us about the great brands or which is a great brand in the Physician Dispense Channel, many of them say Obagi, despite the fact that the brand is not at all present in, in Brazil. And, and the reason for it is that many of these dermatologists from all over the world come to the U.S. for dermatologist conferences, read dermatologist journals, etc. I mean, we have the AAD conference in, in a couple of weeks in Boston. Uh, dermatologists from all over the world come, and, and Obagi is, of course, present there.
0: Moving to kind of what the MA might look like uh, moving on beyond this transaction, could you talk a little bit about what your strategy might be for those, whatever the next deals are? Are you approaching it more from a, a standpoint of, of trying to add on categories, or is there a particular profile of, of beauty brands that you think is really what you're you're after?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're we intending to be, as I say, a multi-brand group that participates in a number of categories. I think the, the vision we have a Waldencast is one that would cover, you know, all the beauty categories all the different price points and, and, and different commercialization models. Right? So we're quite open into that. I think that what we would have as common characteristics, and you see even our venture portfolio and, and what's important Walden welding gas, and it, it sounds silly, but it's if we have a very strong focus on brands. Brands that have an emotional, important connection with consumers. There are a lot of things that are performance marketing collections of products that masquerade themselves as brands. No, we focus really on brands that have uh, this important connection beyond the functional with, with consumers. We will look at a number of categories. We may look at, obviously, let's take makeup or even, even physician dispensed. It are categories where you can go much deeper, much further. But we also look at hair, we we'll look at fragrances, we we'll look at other categories and different price points of commercialization as well.
0: And, and what do you think are the kind of the main benefits that you're going to have um, as a as a public company being able to approach this M and A search as opposed to the way that you've done it before with as an incubator as a as a private investor?
1: No, I think what we I mean I think what we offer is is perhaps a third way that is that is being at least so far quite compelling to to brands and founders. It's just the back I mean the historic on a stereotype a bit, but the, the typical ways to to exit historical were sell to a strategic. And it's a full cash out sell to strategic where as an entrepreneur, as a brand or as an owner, I mean, it's a great, very valid way of going about it. But you sacrifice the upside. Basically, the strategy captures the upside of international expansion or globalization or whatever that is. And that is fine. I mean, for some brands and some owners, that's that's great. The other one was selling to private equity. And, you know, that also has its advantages and disadvantages uh, based on that in terms of control, in terms of what you do, in terms of uh, actual monetization. Being a public company and building the company the way we're building it as a house of brands where the independence of brands is is respected, where we can globalize the brand, we can internationalize the brand, we can drive efficiency with the brand from from our platform while allowing those entrepreneurs or those owners to participate in that upside by being shareholders as well of this this new company is, is quite compelling. If you sell, or I don't know, if you do a transaction with private equity, which is a very valid thing, is you own pieces of paper that are great, but they're private. You cannot sell them, you cannot trade them, etc. Here, you can exit at any moment if that's what you want to do. But more importantly, what we find with people is that they want to participate in that upside, and that was certainly a motivator for the partners we're bringing in uh, as equity holders of Obagi and Milk. They are, you know, transitioning a lot of their shares into a new into a new company because they believe that. There's a one plus one equal three that will create more value than they could do on their own.
2: Great. And so I would say it's been a roller coaster year since you first IPO'd Waldencast just over a year ago. Uh, with that being said, what would you say were the biggest lessons you took away from the experience thus far?
1: <laughs> oh, it certainly has been. We, uh, we IPO in March, we announced the transaction in November. It's not just been this year, it's been the world has been a bit of a bit of a, a, of a roller coaster. I think the, the probably the most important learning in the midst of all these turbulent, turbulent times. It's at the end of the day, what matters most is the fundamentals, is building a great business that connects with consumers in meaningful ways, that generates real profit, that generates real cash, and focus on the things that you can control, right? I mean, what we what we can control with the companies is continue to build an amazing business, continue to grow it, to make, to make it profitable, present our story to people in ways that they can understand it. And that's, at the end, what matters? The rest, yeah, is, is, is something of concern. Is something that you pay attention to, but you can control. So what you can control is the real business and the real fundamentals. And we think that what we are putting together, a company, again, real consumers, real profitability, real growth with operators that are experienced, operators that know what they're doing, that are experts in the industry, will fundamentally matter. That's that's as simple as what we're we're looking to build. Not to mention the whole ocean of potential acquisitions and and, and value creation that way. These are very asset light, capital efficient companies. I mean, you don't have you know big factories, big capex. So it's not just profitable; they're super cash efficient. Beauty is a beautiful business.
2: <laughs> and would you be able to give us an update on the timeline for the transaction?
1: well we are kind of in the we announced it in November we're in the middle of kind of SEC process review um what we communicated uh, it was that we would expect to do it in the front half of 2022 obviously we're entering now almost Q2 it is we're following the SEC process and and is it's, it's moving uh, quite well uh, so hopefully we'll have uh, something relatively soon
0: Great, and going back again to to what you're bringing here, you know, where you have uh, this really unique mixture of the, the the medically legitimized and the and the medical grade uh, care, along with um, some of these really very new Gen Z trends with milk. You know, I, I'm just interested in your thoughts. You know, what are you most excited about in beauty beyond even just these two things? What are some of the the, the great trends you see out there that um, that everyone should be keeping an eye on?
1: I mean, there's there's a couple that are very exciting, very pertinent, and very relevant to this. Uh, one is the skinification of everything beauty, right? And one of the reasons, not the, not the only reason, but one of the reasons Obagi was so compelling is a real true expertise on skin, right? And, and all of the skin. So you can think of uh, applications of skinification obviously into makeup, you know, there's, there's clear for, for instance, uh, the number one skew at, at milk is our primer, uh, the primer that is straight in your skin. So there could be, you could envision in the future a number of skin benefits that are associated to that on your foundation on your primer etc that would come from the understanding of what you have their applications to categories like hair and you know the health of scalp and and other things so this skinification of of everything beauty is becoming uh, a very important trend the second one is is you know the the, the convergence of Technology, personalization, and, and new solutions and new delivery systems to consumers to just have better experiences. Different, either whether it's technology, whether it's, for instance, uh, devices that we have an emerging, you know, right now a, a nugget of, a, of an emerging business within Obagi with devices, not consumer devices, but in clinic devices, but also things such as the use of AI, machine learning, and other other ways to really personalize your experience, whether it's in skincare or whether it's in Ways, and those are, you know, exciting new avenues for beauty and, and to serve consumers in, in better ways and more relevant ways.
0: Yeah, it certainly is exciting. And, and frankly, you know, here at SPAC Insider, where we look at SPAC deals all day, it's also really exciting to see SPACs being used in a very different way than uh, most deals that we that we come across. And so we're certainly fascinated to continue to follow this transaction and process uh, that you will be embarking these two companies, these, this combined company, on um, as operators moving forward. And um, thanks so much for taking the time to
1: and talk to us. no thank you for having me it's a real pleasure